Wow, what amazing songs we've sung this morning. I don't know about you, but uh, it's kind of relatively easy to sing those songs about peace and about the love of God, but actually to really experience them when things are tough is, is hard for every one of us. Um, there was once a man, an American, he made an awful lot of money in the 19th century uh, through business, and he lost it all, all, all wiped out. He then lost, he had five children, he lost his son, um, who had scarlet fever, and then on a crossing back to England, he was toing and throwing a bit, he lost his four daughters, they perished in a storm. And he got back to England, and he wrote a very, very memorable hymn, which ends with the lines, It is well with my soul. I wonder, how is it with our souls today? It's uh, very easy to come in on a Sunday morning and, and sing the songs and, and love being here, but actually there's another story going on, and things in our inner lives are not well. And I believe this morning that God has a, an experience of peace, of undeniable peace for every one of us. This, preparing this, um, this morning has been much more about me um, knowing some new depths of God's peace than it has about getting things down on paper. He is an amazing God, whatever season of our souls that we're passing through. He promises his peace. In the hardest times, in the dark nights of the soul, his peace is still there for us. Um, I love books. Um, I love recommending books. And there, there are three books that have influenced me a lot. Um, one is called The Worry Book. Okay, so um, this is a book that I bought at New Wine. Um, there was a seminar by a guy who uh, is an expert in worry, and um, a lot of the church um, went to this seminar, and uh, he said, oh, I don't seem to be at the seminar. I don't, the, what's happened to everybody? There were heaps of us in there. Fraser wasn't in there either, but it was absolutely amazing. And um, I bought this book, um, The Worry Book, and I highly, highly recommend it. Finding a Path to Freedom in Worry. So that's book number one. Uh, book number two is a book that I've only just discovered. It's by another American called John Ortberg. And it is about, it's called Soul Keeping. It's a brilliant title. I'll be referring to it. This is a kind of must-read if you really want to deal with inner things. You don't want to just carry on in the same old way. That's an absolutely brilliant book. And finally, a very, very old book, which um, most of you probably have never heard of. It's called Peace with God. It's by a very, very famous man, an uh, evangelist called Billy Graham, who has preached to presidents and who has seen millions of people all over the world. I don't exaggerate. Finding Peace with God. It is an astonishingly good read. Um, bang up to date. And I... I just um, picked up this book uh, some months ago when I knew that God, God had some more peace for me, and it's absolutely amazing. So that's Peace with God, Billy Graham. Billy Graham actually said, um, God has given us two hands. One hand to receive his peace, the other hand to give it away. So I, I believe this morning that we want to be people who receive his peace and then go out to give it away. And we're going to look at the story of a woman 
um, another Mary, Mary Magdalene, um, who met Jesus in person and found peace with God. I think, if she's not very clear, it's an amazing, uh, very modern um, image um, of, of a woman who's probably one of the most infamous of women. Um, her story has inspired poets and mystics and artists for over 2,000 years. Um, she wasn't too well respected by the religious leaders of her day. But she met Jesus. She had the most remarkable encounter with his unconditional love. And Jesus spoke profound words to her. Go in peace. Your faith has made you whole. Go in peace. Your faith has made you whole. We're just going to spend a few minutes, all of us, receiving the peace of God. And you know, God's word is so powerful. It is utterly, utterly, it, it just goes right to the heart of the matter. So we're just going to listen um, as God's word is um, shared with us by Mark and Diana.
look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you. For those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. The Lord gives his people strength. Since the beginning of the year, as a church, we've been thinking a lot about mission, about going out. And Jesus describes the world around us as being like a harvest, a very ripe harvest. We're to pray and we're to go out. Prayer is absolutely crucial in this mission, absolutely crucial. So how lovely that Abe was able to take so many things and personally pray for us all last week. In that box, in this box here, are names of people who have anything but peace. And we want to fill that box up. And those people will be prayed for right through until um, the day of the festival. We must never give up. We've lived in uh, the same house for 38 years. And uh, we've got to know our neighborhood and our area very well. And we have prayed a lot for our neighbours, and I want to say that it's only in the last two years that we've um, found a home where we're really welcomed, where there are people of peace, and where we're able to go in and share a friendship with people who don't yet know Jesus. It's been 38 years. There's, there's been so much praying, but I believe the harvest is now ripe, and God has given us that kind of lovely finding of a, a friendship in a home. The harvest really, really is ripe all around us, and we must pray. We must look for people. We must look for places uh, that are people and places of peace. Um, we must be peace carriers. I seem to be talking about Americans quite a lot. There's another American who is one of my heroes, a man called John Wimber. And uh, he was on an airport um, one day. Uh, he was a remarkable man, very gentle-spirited uh, evangelist, 
um, and church builder, church planter. He was on the airport and someone kind of sidled up to him and said, it smells quite nice around here. So John always had an took the most, made the most of the opportunity. He said, I want to tell you why it smells nice around here. And he began to talk about Jesus. And what an amazing opportunity. I began to reflect on our verse for the year quite a lot, um, where Jesus, in the context of it, Jesus tells his disciples there to go out um, as peace carriers, to find people of peace, to leave their peace where they go. And I had a question which dogged me quite a lot, and that's kind of informed what I want to share this morning. How can I go out into my town, into my community, into my workplace, bringing the peace of God, if I don't know peace with the one who created me to be a peacemaker? How can I go out bringing peace when I'm not at peace in my inner life? There may be some of you here this morning who've actually never experienced a personal encounter with Jesus as Prince of Peace. You didn't even know that such peace was possible. I've met people and the only context that they know the word peace in, in a kind of religious, spiritual context, is that we say we will bless somebody after they've died, some people will, or as they die, rest in peace. And that's, that's all some people will have ever heard. Some people think that that uh, peace is, is just about the kind of nation stopping fighting and UN peacekeeping forces. Jesus comes to bring deep, deep peace to our inner lives. There are some of us who've had that encounter, but things have happened along the way and we find ourselves troubled. It may be things that have happened this week or over the past year or two years, but there's somehow something that's missing, a missing peace. Um, I've asked a couple of, three people um, to tell us how they know peace with God. They're people I know fairly well. Um, they're people who I happen to know leave except, lead exceptionally busy lives. Um, I believe they're all people who serve God wholeheartedly um, in the workplace and in their family life. And I have to say, I know that they are all people who live with a lot of pressure. Um, so, uh, first of all, Fraser's going to take the mic around. Rachel, who's a doctor, a very senior doctor and a very busy mum, is going to tell us a little bit about how she knows peace with God. Okay, so um, Holly asked me to talk about peace this week, and it happened to uh, be a message that I received on Thursday, and uh, Dave was away, so I was single parenting, so I work full time, and that's five days a week. And I have two children, and I'm a wife, and a mother, and a daughter, and all sorts of things. So it was a pretty busy time. I thought, peace, really? Peace in my life? Goodness me, when is that? Can we just pause there, Alex? I really want everybody to hear. Have we got phone free? Everyone turn your phones off. Just, it just helps. Sorry, Rachel. So, um, so I thought, the concept of peace, oh my gosh, when do I feel that? And I thought, well, actually, do you know, the time when I really feel at peace is when I'm with God. And in those brief moments where I have to myself, um, that's when I'm with God and that's when I ask for his help and his support. And even when I'm really busy and I've got a lot of pressures on at work or at home, if I'm feeling overwhelmed by those pressures, then I just have to stop. And even if it, sometimes even when I'm talking with my children or talking with a patient, 
and I'd feel overwhelmed, I'd have to just pause and just ask him to be with me. And I know he is, and I feel that peace within me. And I had one of these moments this morning. I was, I was in the shower getting ready, and there's a time when I perhaps have a bit of time to myself. But um, hilariously, just <laughs> before I got out of the shower, the bathroom door opened and Eddie comes in and says, Mum, Mum, I finished the painting, I finished that painting, come and see it. And I went, yeah, I'll, I'll come um, when, 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 I'm, when I'm dressed. And, uh, and, and um, I got out of the shower and I said, um, I thought the irony wouldn't be lost on him. I said, Eddie, Polly's asked me to say something this morning about peace. And I said, peace with God. I said, do you, I said do, do you know what that is? And he went, no. <laughs> and, uh, and, and he said, do you have it? And I said, yes, I do. And he said, do you think everybody at church has it? And I said, well, I don't know. I think some have. And I said, do you have it? And he said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, you know when, when God is with you, how, how do you feel? And he went, well, I feel a bit weird. And I said, is that, is, is that, is that good weird? And he went, yeah, yeah, it's good, it's good. And I said, what about when God's talking to you? And he said, well, when God talks to me, I feel a little vibration in my ear. So, so I thought, okay, well, that, that's that's good. And I thought, well, I'll, I'll ask I'll ask Bobby how, how she feels about it. So I talked I talked with her later, and uh, and I said, what 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 do you feel about this? You know, when God's with you, how do you feel? And this massive smile came upon her face, and she said, she said, I feel love. I said, that's lovely, and and. I said, anything else? She said, yeah, I feel confident. Oh, I said, that's brilliant. And then she sort of paused and said all of those nice things. And then she said, I know that God is my friend. Oh, so, lovely. you know, I felt, I felt pretty peaceful after that. <laughs> Thank you, Rachel. Okay, now Chris. Chris works in a very busy law practice in town. He's a lawyer and he's a dad and he's going to tell us a little bit. Well, you asked me to be succinct, so I've written you it down. You <laughs> <laughs> It's very succinct. Um, actually, the, um, that song, Good, Good Father, is something which really uh, resonates with me a lot. And that's kind of my story, I suppose. So, so how do I experience uh, God's peace? Uh, well, I think that it's easy to understand what God's peace is when you are aware of what the opposite is, i.e. not having yeah. peace. Um, I've been reading um, some of the Psalms recently, and, um, and they're full of the ups and downs of life, um, the effect that that has on us. Um, it's noticeable that many start with doubt and confusion, and being overwhelmed with circumstances or apparent injustice, um, but there's always a light and a hope, an offer of a new beginning. Um, so for me, I mean life, well for all of us, life can be a struggle. Um, but experience has taught me that it's possible to experience the peace of God in the midst of the struggle. Yeah. In fact, I think I've experienced God's peace the most when the struggle has been hardest. Yeah. Um, yeah. For me, there's something very liberating uh, and truly amazing in surrendering control mm -hmm. and submitting ourselves to God's care. Mm -hmm. um, for a long time, well, for as long as I follow Jesus, I've had a deep, unshakable belief that God loves me. That's really what draws me to him. It's sort of the life in my blood, really, and the foundation for everything else that's built on it. Uh, and there's that um, a wonderful promise in, in Romans where it says that he does not give us a spirit that is a slave to fear, but a spirit of sonship um, by which we cry out the Father. And um, I think 
amazingly, really, through I mean, my, my immediate experience when I became a Christian, how I, I truly knew, and I've always known, a deep sense of God's love. And I think with that, um, you know, even in the midst of difficulties, you know, I, I don't really worry. Um, you know, I, mean, I, I do worry a lot about what people think about me, actually, in truth. Uh, yeah, there's another sense in which there comes a point where I don't really worry at all because, you know, I know that I'm loved. Thank you. Thank you so much. I, I just so honour these things because we've been talking a lot about authenticity and we need to be open and honest about the way things are and it's a great place to kind of practice here. Okay, Hugh, who is a linguist, um, has um, served God overseas and is now working hard to translate the Bible. Hugh. Just finished Psalm 22 yesterday. Psalm 22 yesterday, amazing. As a Londoner, I'm used to the hustle and bustle of the town. When I used to think of peace, I thought of the countryside, walking out amongst the fields, the bluebell woods, sky, blue sky, birds singing, lovely tranquil scene of the river uh, flowing past, so peaceful and quiet, so lovely, so unlike the peace of God. Because uh, peace isn't like that. Not God's peace. Um, the uh, that the Jews had a, have a custom which uh, persists today. When they meet each other, they greet each other with shalom, mm. peace. But it doesn't mean just peace. It means wholeness and contentment. Uh, Polly said uh, the Lord's words to that woman, your faith has Thank saved you. Give um, made you whole. Made, made, made you whole. And made you whole. The Lord give you peace and make you whole. Wholeness and completeness is what God gives us when he gives us his peace. So when Jesus said, my shalom I give to you, not as the shalom that the world has, it was an entirely different thing. And to me, it's summarized in a, in a painting that I saw some years ago. I'll, ju I'll just show you something that's similar to it. Um, this is by Sarah Turner, some of her pictures, Gilbert, who exhibits in the shops at Dartington. Here's a picture that she, that she uh, Shall uh, I hold exhibits. it up here? It's uh, a picture of Waves, a stormy sea with waves. And I once saw a picture, I don't know who painted it, where it is, but right in the middle of it, where that white blob is, was a, a seagull, asleep, amidst the waves, with all the waves crashing around her. And the bird was quite unperturbed, going to sleep, quite confident, that uh, it would remain floating amidst the storm. And to me, that's what the peace of God is. 
its space within the storm. And that was the words of the first song that we sang about his thy peace within the storm. That's what he gives us. You're the peace God's peace. The troubled sea. Yes, that's right. Over the troubled sea. Uh, God's peace is not being uh, all tranquil. It's being impervious to circumstances. Wonderful. Thank you. Shall we give them all a clap? I think I can go home now. <laughs> we can all go home now. That was amazing. Uh, now we're going to hear the story of this infamous woman, Mary Magdalene, one of my great heroes of the New Testament, who discovered peace and wholeness. Luke chapter 7, verses 36 to 39. Anointing the feet of Jesus. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus over for a meal. He went to the Pharisee's house and sat down at the dinner table. Just then, a woman of the village, often called Mary of Magdala, the town prostitute, having learned that Jesus was a guest in the home of the Pharisee, came with a bottle of very expensive perfume and stood at his feet, weeping, raining tears on his feet. Letting down her hair, she dried his feet, kissed them, and anointed them with the perfume. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man was the prophet I thought he was, he would have known what kind of woman this is who is falling all over him. Jesus said to him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Oh, tell me. Two men were in debt to a banker. One owed 500 silver pieces, the other 50. Neither of them could pay up, and so the banker cancelled both debts. Which of the two would be more grateful? Simon answered, I suppose the one who was forgiven the most? That's right, said Jesus. Then turning to the woman, but speaking to Simon, he said, do you see this woman? I came to your home, you provided no water for my feet, but she rained tears on my feet and dried them with her hair. You gave me no greeting, but from the time I arrived she hasn't stopped kissing my feet. You provided nothing for washing my feet, but she has soothed my feet with perfume. Impressive, isn't it? She was forgiven many, many sins. And so she is very, very grateful. If the forgiveness is minimal, the gratitude is minimal. Then Jesus spoke to her, I forgive your sins. That set the dinner guests talking behind his back. Who does he think he is forgiving sins? Jesus ignored them and said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace.
there seems to be quite a correlation there between forgiving, being forgiven, knowing that we're forgiven, and experiencing the peace of God. I guess that that woman had a high degree of self-awareness that the Pharisees didn't have. I think she knew she was a sinner. She was probably quite out front about the fact that she was a sinner. It's very, um, it's very helpful to have a little bit of background. So after Mary Magdalene had this incredible encounter with Jesus, you can kind of track through her life story um, in the other Gospels. Um, so I just want to give you a little bit of a context. So in the following chapter, you find that story in Luke 7. We hear right away that um, Mary Magdalene um, goes out on mission. So she joins a very small group of women, and they're all very wealthy, and uh, she supports Jesus and his followers. They don't have any way of making money. So there she is, in that original missional community, bringing what she's got, bringing her wealth, serving Jesus. She was part of a slightly wider group of women in that, in that team. That the thing that uh, characterised them all was that they were forgiven and they were healed and they were set free. They'd had demons delivered, they'd had mental oppression dealt with, and then they were off out with Jesus. So that was where she spent her life. Um, she had a brother called Lazarus. He's quite famous because Jesus raised him from the dead. She had a sister called Martha, and Martha and Lazarus lived in a place called Bethany, quite near Jerusalem, um, and um, they were very close friends of Jesus, and theirs was a home that Jesus visited very, very often. Mary Magdalene didn't live with them. Um, she was actually a very different character from her sister Martha. So a few um, chapters later on in, uh, in the Gospel of Luke, we read there was another supper party in the home of uh, Martha and Lazarus, and Mary was there and Jesus was there. Uh, Jesus had been invited for supper. And I think that Martha was probably quite a stay-at-home girl. She, she, she loved welcoming people into her, her home, um, but she actually got pretty fed up and irritated with her sister Mary because she, Martha, was left doing all the work in the kitchen whilst Mary just sat and listened to Jesus. I want to just read you a little bit of, um, from an amazing book by Roger Forster which really helps us kind of get inside Mary Magdalene's character. This is Roger using his imagination and using scripture. So Mary was quite likely unsatisfied with the kind of domestic preoccupations of her sister Martha. She fell into a dissolute lifestyle in the delectable but immoral resort of Magdala. So she was nicknamed Mary of Magdala. But as so often happens, Mary failed to find real life that she sought in this way. Instead, adding mental oppression and fragmentation of personality to her moral decline. In this sorry state, Jesus found her. He brought her reality, mental and spiritual healing, forgiveness and cleansing. Owing Jesus much, she developed an intense love and devotion to him, joining the women who followed and supported him. And so, she came to understand more than many others what mission was about. The one who knows they've been forgiven much, loves much, and wants to go out. So that's Mary Magdalene.
Could we have the next PowerPoint, please? Um, I want to look a little bit more closely at this story. Would someone like to read that out? Someone who enjoys reading? Thank you, Barry. Yeah, that's fine. So if we can all follow it. When a certain immoral woman from the city heard Jesus was eating there, she bought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. Thank you. Okay, so what I'd like us to do is just to kind of get our imaginations going. Imagine that you were at that party, and imagine what you might have said or thought. Could we have a bit of honesty going here? It's very easy to just kind of, oh, I would have been like Jesus and I would have welcomed her. <laughs> Let's just imagine this grossly, grossly immoral woman and she's got such a reputation. And here she is at this party, just pouring everything all over Jesus. We've got to be quite earthy about this. I know what I'd have thought, have a think. Where would you have been? Would you have been with the Pharisees? And what would you have been thinking? Or would you have been with Jesus? I'd have been with the Pharisees. Thank you. Thank you. I love a bit of honesty. Thank you, Liz. I, sadly, I would have been with the Pharisees and I would have been thinking, blooming heck, she's even seducing him here. <laughs> yeah, I think I'd have thought that too. Anybody else got as honest as Liz? Probably would have thought, oh, that's a bit much. You know, kind of tone it down a bit. You know, a bit public, a bit showy. Kind of, yeah. you know, have a bit of a private moment, maybe. Yeah. Okay, I think that's enough. That's <laughs> <laughs> reality. Um, Jesus is just completely different. Completely, it blows me away. It blows me away because I've got a lot of Pharisee inside of me quite often. It completely blows me away. Do you know, over a hundred, hundred times in the Gospels, um, Jesus is referred to as a friend of sinners. A lot of the time, that was a, a, a title, description given to him rather disparagingly um, by the Pharisees. Those who despised, despised him. Actually, Jesus was okay with being known as a friend of sinners. In fact, he welcomed that. And I love the fact that uh, Jesus said, I didn't come for those um, who were well. I came for those who were sick. Those who are well don't know they need a doctor. And those who've been forgiven much, love much. I think for some of us, and I put myself in that category, I actually, I was quite naughty when I was at school. And I... I didn't, I was a bit outspoken and I was a bit cheeky and more than that. And I always thought, oh God, there's me again, there's me again. And yet I kept coming back as I came into my 30s when I had an encounter with Jesus to the fact that actually the one who's been forgiven a lot loves so much. And I just think that's absolutely amazing. It must have been deeply troubling for Simon, the host, to watch what was happening. Um, I think he probably imagined that things were getting rather out of his control. Um, 
there was Jesus finding a person of peace, um, one who would welcome him into their lives, that Jesus was doing exactly what he didn't expect him to do. And I can imagine in that moment that these very religious eyes would have been scrutinizing Jesus. Um, their body language would have said it all. They might not have said, but their body language would have been very visible. And then in that moment, Jesus has a nudge from his father. Take time with that broken woman. I have no doubt that in that moment, the, the woman knew that Jesus was the strongest, safest, tenderest man she'd ever met. Jesus could see right to the heart of the matter. He saw the raw emotion. He saw the outpouring of grief. He saw the way things had turned out and the deep regrets about her life. There were no words exchanged at that point about the rights and wrongs of her lifestyle. She sensed she'd met a man who had nothing but acceptance and forgiveness for her. An unconditional love she'd never known. And I believe there would have been conversations, lots about lifestyle and how we live like Jesus, but not in public, not then. She'd just met Jesus and she just needed to know that she was loved and that she was forgiven. Some of you have heard me say this before. God, who never painted the same sunset twice, knows the perfect time and the perfect place to reveal his love to my broken heart. There were many times when Jesus was um, preaching and teaching that he actually um, asked people very direct questions. Um, there were many times when people felt uncomfortable because uh, he challenged them in public. And many times that he engaged in debate, even confrontation. But it's really interesting, if you go through the life of Jesus, you'll, you'll see that he always showed incredible tenderness to women. Incredible tenderness. There was the woman who was caught in adultery. There was the woman at the well um, who had also a very promiscuous life. There was the woman who had got a gynecological problem and she'd been ill for ages and she just, was, she just crept to Jesus and he was amazing with her. Jesus just knows exactly what our personal love language is. He knows how to reach us. Jesus also knew that the men around would be muttering that prayer under their breath that Jewish men used to pray every day of their lives. Thank you, God, for not making me a woman. So Jesus, friend of sinners, uh, was extremely politically incorrect and actually honours Mary publicly by receiving her devotion and seeking a blessing over her life. Simon. Then Jesus turned to the woman and said to Simon, the host of the supper party, Look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with, the, with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, 
have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. <coughs> Jesus said to the woman, Your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. It was Mary Magdalene, a very broken woman, who stayed with Jesus to the very end. And I think she probably got a bit used to being publicly criticised and humiliated by different people. So um, just before uh, Jesus went to his crucifixion, um, there was another supper party, another gathering of Jesus and his disciples, and uh, Mary Magdalene was there and probably quite a lot of the other women. And uh, she, very wealthy, she had some incredible perfume, um, it, it, it's described as costing a year's wages um, and she decided again that she was going to anoint Jesus um, at that time and uh, what, a, what an incredible act of devotion and I think those of us who are sometimes pompous about money and worship and things like that could learn a lot it didn't matter about the money it didn't matter about the moment all that mattered was pouring it all over Jesus um, Judas was there. Judas who was about to betray Jesus. And he became very high-minded and self-righteous and said, surely, surely this could have been spent on the poor. What an extraordinary thing. And he was about to go out and betray Jesus. Yeah. I don't want to say any more about that. What I do observe is that Mary must have been a woman who learnt a lot of discipline. She refused to allow her inner peace to be disturbed by this horrid attack. She did not rise to defend herself. She just knew Jesus. She knew he would defend her. She knew she could trust him. So what a supper party. It must have felt, all of these supper parties must have felt for Jesus like he was... Um, sheep among wolves. I just want to quote at word for word something Aid said because it, it leapt out at me enormously a few weeks ago. Remember, Jesus has warned us that we go out as wolves in lambs country. Jesus asks us to stay like lambs, playful, gentle, completely dependent on our Heavenly Father. We certainly don't go out looking for a fight. We can stay very, very secure with our Good Shepherd. When we're under pressure, that's when we can really experience Holy Spirit comfort and peace we maybe could experience no other time. And Chris brought that out as well, and that was that's very much my message that there are there are times that are just indescribably pressured. Or when we seem to have lost everything, that is the moment when the peace is absolutely extraordinary. So, I just would like to move on now to, to thinking a little bit about peace in our inner lives. So, for those of you who were, well, first of all, we had um, mission community training evening on Monday, and everybody was invited, anyone who wanted to know about how to be a leader, and it was absolutely fantastic evening, really brilliant. 
Um, and um, in fact, I'd already planned what I wanted to do today, but um, Aid uh, gave a presentation um, really about our inner lives. For me, the bottom line was knowing peace, who I am, where I am in my inner life. So he kind of stole all I wanted to say this morning. Good man. And then Carl, <laughs> lovely, lovely Carl, who came, um, he stole everything I wanted to say about going out with peace into our community. So I'm going to say it kind of a bit my way, and just it'll, it'll be a little bit different. What I do want um, to recommend that everybody does is to listen to the podcast of Carl. I don't know whether that whole lot's going to be on there, but whatever's on there, listen to the podcast. If you missed it, it's an absolute must because it, it really sort of equips us for, for leading at home, in our families, at work, all over the place, and for going out and for, for really knowing peace in our inner lives. Um, we had some amazing handouts, actually. And uh, Fraser and I don't lead a missional community, but we were there and loving it all. And mine is already scrunched on all around and, and prayed about it and looked at it. Take, you know, if you, if you were there, there were a few left behind. Do sort of, if you, if you left it behind, you can't find it, get another one because it's absolute gold, this handout. So let's um, have a look at peace in our inner lives. Actually, Hugh's stolen quite a lot of this section, so I'm going to cut it short. <laughs> um, Jesus promises his peace to troubled hearts. I want to say that peace is not the absence of conflict. Conflict is here to stay. It's in our marriages, it's in our family life, it's in, it can be in our church life, it's, it's everywhere. Peace is not the absence of conflict. Jesus said, um, you will have trouble in the world. That means you will have trouble. But don't be afraid. I have overcome the world. So that's all really, really good news. And Jesus said, um, I've come to give peace. That's wholeness. I was just so pleased that it's the shalom that I just feel that we really need to grasp hold of. It describes a rest and an inner quietness in our lives and in every part of our, our life. The issue is that things happen. So things happen, can happen on a daily basis to destroy our inner peace. Um, major trauma, like we've seen this week, can turn people's lives upside down and life will never be the same. There's a terrorist attack, there's the knock at the door by a policeman, there's the um, medical diagnosis and nothing will ever be the same. For Mary Magdalene, um, Facing the death of Jesus must have been pretty harrowing. So she was very much involved in the um, just in the last days, and she would have been the, with the women around the cross. And then the grief and the disappointment, and I believe the loss of peace. Actually, she was a human being, and you know, in those moments, your peace just it just goes, and you find it really hard to catch hold of, really, really hard. Then there's the smaller things, just a throwaway careless remark from someone that can pierce like an arrow. There's a proverb that says, reckless words pierce like an arrow, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. But it, these words can, and we all, we receive it and we give it without even knowing, and our peace is gone. 
I think living with long-term disappointment, things that we've lost, a lost dream, um, loss of health, loss of an opportunity that we'd hoped we'd have, and we can just, just discover that our desire for Jesus, our Prince of Peace, has become dull. I just want to talk a little bit about accepting ourselves as we are. I had a wonderful conversation beforehand with Barry about, um, about the um, heir to the king last night. And uh, he went in and he did it. And I said, Barry, God's given you such a gift of saying it like it is and that quick cockney wit. Go on doing it, Barry. Mm -hmm. Being that person for Jesus. And I loved watching Matt with the notices and Liz this morning, just kind of <laughs> filling her in. I'm not a person that gets all the notices right. I need a, I need a husband. He doesn't do, he, he has things that happen to him. He needs me. We all need each other. We are all made in a certain particular way. Just like Eddie and Bobby are rather different. They have very different ways of describing the piece this morning. Um, I just want to say, you might not know this, you might know it, that um, psychologists and neuroscientists have helped us to understand that there are certain aspects of our personalities that are hardwired. This is how we are. So, some people are born naturally even-tempered. Some are born naturally cautious. Um, some of us naturally think very deeply about the way things are, and that often leads us to being very anxious people. So that tends to be me. So I'm married to Fraser, and way before he surrendered his life to Jesus, he just didn't worry about anything, nothing. And after he surrendered his life to Jesus, he didn't worry about anything. I am different, and that is the way I am. That's just it. Um, I just want to read something about all of this, and there are people here who know much more about this than I do, John Oldberg book. So, it is now well researched scientifically, I believe it is very well regarded, that prayer, meditation and confession actually have the power to rewire the brain in a way that can make us less self-referential and more aware of God. Thank you, Rachel. Just wanted a bit of a professional thumbs up on that. Um, so, prayer and reflection and meditation and worship can help with all those hardwired areas where we, we struggle with the way we are. Some of us have got recent wounds that are very raw. And then there's those old wounds. We think they're healed. It's like a scar that's healed over. And then it gets a bump and a knock and oh, you suddenly realise you're bruised all over again. But I want to say that wherever we are, whatever our personality shape is, there is a hunger for lasting peace that's etched deep within every one of us. There's not one of us who doesn't long for inner peace. I want to spend a few moments just um, quickly thinking about what Jesus meant about sin. He said, your sins are so many are forgiven. Now, we fall into different places over this. Some of us have been Christians for a very, very long time. And we know what grace is about. And we have a kind of uh, understanding of sin. Um, and other people actually just really struggle with what sin is and what it isn't. And I think it's really important that we know how to explain it to people who don't have a clue. 
Um, this is what Carl Smethers said on Monday night. Again, I quote him. We are to be frontline missionaries. We are to be people in our culture who speak in a different language. We need to learn to be bilingual. We need to learn to be bilingual. We, need to have, we don't water down the truth. We don't water down the gospel. But we need to know how to explain things that maybe for us, we've known since we were, well, for me, it's since I was in my mother's womb. So it's, it's not rocket science, but we need to have a language. So sin, this is Billy Graham, sin is a disease of the human heart. The only hope for enduring peace is Jesus Christ. There is no other way of salvation, wholeness and healing, except through the cross of Jesus. So sin is a word that most postmodern people, uh, people who were born in this culture, this society, have maybe never even heard or have no notion of. Um, it's, it, they probably think it's something uh, that inhibits personal freedom. Um, this is what Ortberg says. There are no little sins and there are no big sins. Unlike our legal system, sins are not weighted by their seriousness. There are no misdemeanours in the world of sin. Sin is sin is sin. And sin is serious because of what it does to our inner life. And for me, over the years, I've kind of suddenly realised, actually, that's sin. It's, it's a sin of my disposition. And we need to come in repentance to God when he shows us those very things. Um, sin elevates my belief that I am autonomous. Sin is the place in my life where I try to meet my legitimate human need with things that separate me from God. Sin is what is in my life that is a legitimate need that actually I, I try and meet with things that separate me from God. So, food, sex, creativity, human success, so much more are incredible gifts of God. They're created for his pleasure and for our pleasure. But when we start to um, meet those needs in a wrong way, um, we become, our inner life becomes uh, troubled actually. Sin is the idols of our lives. Maybe it's the need to be in control. Maybe it's the need to keep secrets from those closest to us. Maybe it's the need to fix others. It's, it's an it's a interesting journey to deal with the sin of our inner lives that prevents us from knowing peace. I really highly recommend this book if you want to kind of get your to use something, to sort of look at yourself and to have a language to be able to um, share your faith with people who've never heard the gospel. So, Mary Magdalene, she tried to get her deepest needs met through her promiscuous lifestyle. And it was in that place that she was distanced from God and distanced from her friends and family. Peace with God draws us near to God and we have our sins forgiven and we, we draw close to God and to one another. We're all needy. We're all created with an incredible capacity to love and be loved. I just, I'm going to go quite quickly now. There were a couple of things that I felt maybe people here 
would, this is where the Holy Spirit would speak, where the struggle for peace. We will fail to know inner peace, to be at peace with ourselves, if we constantly strive to be someone else, to be like someone else. Or if we expect our friends, our spouses, our siblings, our kids, to conform to how we think we should, they should be, what our image is for them, where we try to kind of pull them into what we would like them to be. That's, that's not freedom, and there is no peace in ourselves with that. So Mary Magdalene was very different from her sister Martha. Um, there was actually no need for Martha to get irritated. Martha was doing the thing that God had given her to do. We are all different. And secondly, we will not enjoy God's peace by constantly demanding that he changes our circumstances. We will not enjoy God's peace by constantly demanding that he us, changes our circumstances. Many of you will have heard Fraser tell the story of the fact that for about ten or eight years of his working life, all we prayed was, God, 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 give me a new job, give him a new job, take him away somewhere else, give him a promotion. And you know, it stole so much peace. And one day we sat down and we said, Lord, we're sorry. Stop doing it. Peace came, hope came, faith came. Um, so Jesus cried out to his father when he would like not to face something. He didn't want to face death. And in the garden, he cried out to his father, desperate for a way out. He didn't want to face death. And yet in the end, he surrendered. Not my will, but yours. Knowing peace in our inner lives does not lie in demanding that God changes my circumstances. Peace lies in finding God in those very circumstances. I just want to quote, I had a letter from a friend fairly recently. It's not anyone, anywhere, any of you know, so don't try and guess. When we have, when we have courage to remain in a place of vulnerability, we touch the heart of our Creator. He is the God of peace who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ. When we have the courage to stay in that place of vulnerability, not having that change of circumstance that we would like, we touch the heart of our Creator. Do you know, it takes time to look at our inner lives, um, where we often lose peace. There, is, there are patterns as well. If you know that there's a certain place where you always lose your peace, just find some time to, to work with that. Um, so be intentional in how you do this. Um, I think the first thing is to, to just take a little bit of time once a week or once a day where you know I'm just going to stop and be still and allow God to be God. Have a scripture feed you in that moment. And then plan in some, some longer times. I have been a mum before, and I've been a working mum before, and I know it's really, really hard, but actually, it's a, sometimes it is about choice. Um, I want to recommend that you get a book. Start a book club. Like, you know, this book, Soul Keeping. Someone in your mission or community, or someone at home, say, look, this is this really good book. I'm struggling with this. Can we work through this together? Use it like a book club. Brilliant idea. Another thing is having something visual. 
So this is a blob tree, and um, there's loads of blob trees. And uh, Aid used it on um, Monday night um, to just try and get us to see where we were at. And you know, it's been really good for Fraser and me. We've kind of looked at this and pondered and had all sorts of interaction between us and with the Lord about this. It's a great tool to have something visual to use. So I've got a pile of these if anyone would want them, if anyone wants them. They're quite humorous as well. So, peace in my outer world. I have two hands, one to receive God's peace and one to give it away. Um, Mary Magdalene, she received peace and she immediately went out and joined a missional community. Great, absolutely amazing. Went out with it. Jesus asked us to go out and be carriers of his life and his love. And it will be a different context for us all. Times when we can speak, times when we can influence, times when we can listen. Really, really important. Some people have never had anyone to listen to their story. And maybe they need to tell it five times over. And then we can start to hear what God is saying with them. But we do want to be authentic. We don't want to fake it. Um, and we need to be wise how we share our stories as well. Um, so uh, I am a befriender with uh, Fraser for a cat client who's got deep, deep anxiety. And uh, it's been a privilege to, to um, get to know this person. And I felt on one of the visits that it was actually really important for me to say, actually, I've had a bit of experience of anxiety as well. And immediately we can connect. But we need to be wise, wise as serpents, with how much and when we share those um, tender things of ourselves. Um, I think it's really important that with our friends and family who know us very well, we, we're actually quite outright. So I've got a lot of, several really close friends and people in my family who aren't yet believers. And if they know I'm going, like, we've just been to a three-day worship prayer and fasting conference, They'll, they'll be terribly impressed. Oh my goodness, oh, aren't you good? Ooh. And it's just really, really important. I say, oh, come on, get a life. When I'm fasting, sometimes I stop fasting and I have a glass of wine or I, I just get, oh, I can't do this any longer. It's really, really important that we are authentic with those who aren't yet Christians because they read us. Don't pretend anything. And they need to know we don't take ourselves too, too seriously. Keep listening, listening to the Lord. It's so important that we hear the Lord. In my Pilates class um, down in Kingsbridge, that I don't usually go to, I, I saw this woman. <laughs> and uh, she, I thought, I know you, I know you. But I actually, I don't know if it's you or not, and I don't really want to reconnect with you. I met you years and years ago, and I, I haven't got time to go for a coffee with you now, and all of that. And I wasn't sure if it was her. When I left, I saw a photograph of her husband had a heart, heart gallery and thought, I know that was the woman. And, you know, I got home and I was really rebuked inside. But, you know, the Lord, I used to be very hard on myself, but I think he speaks much more whimsically now. He said, don't let it happen again. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> um, I think we must deal with our prejudices as well. You know, some of us have inferiority complexes, some of us have superiority complexes. None of them are any good in the kingdom. Deal with that. Deal with your prejudice. So, um, Fraser and I recently went to um, a party, uh, and um, there was um, 
this wasn't here, it was away from here. And there was a very, very rich girl there, probably the richest girl I've ever met. She was in her um, late 20s. And I just thought, oh, how can someone be so rich? And she really was rich. Um, and this was authentic rich. And uh, she was very outrageous. And some years ago, I would have just looked down my nose at her. I would have just thought, how can anyone be so rich? Why, why is it? But actually, you know, she was a really interesting character. And Fraser and I both found that we had conversations with her independently of each other. And she was the woman who was actually really seeking for Jesus. And she didn't say, I'm really seeking for Jesus, but it was just amazing interaction. She started telling us things and, you know, just deal with our prejudices. Um, and let's just keep on helping each other. Talking about when we messed it up, when we failed, and when we had a good conversation with someone, and we can help each other a lot. Most of all, let's just keep seeking Jesus, the Prince of Peace. He says, if you seek me with all your heart, you will truly find me. And I want to tell you, when I started reading um, the, the Billy Graham book, I, was, I didn't know I was coming to the end of it. I had a period, starting probably in November, and it's the Lord has lifted it now, of deep anxiety. Deep, deep anxiety. Not about anything, but just finding myself very anxious. I thought, I'm going to go to this book, and I opened it, and the first verse that Billy Graham quotes is, you will seek me, and you will find me, when you seek me with all of your heart. And I thought, okay, this is a, a journey now, I've got to give myself to wholeheartedly. And it didn't, the anxiety didn't go completely, but I just knew when we got to worship around fasting, Lord, you've delivered me. From that particular phase, there'll be some more. Um, so we've we really got to be very um, intentional. It's like, what do I want? Do I really, really, really want you, Jesus? And we can seek him with all our hearts. And that will be something totally different for all of us. That way we seek him with all our heart will be totally different. And Jesus is destroyed. It, 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 Jesus is described in the book of Ephesians as the one who broke the dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile, between extreme groups. He broke that and uh, he demolished it and he speaks peace to those who are near him and those who are far away. And we need to find those who are far away and we need to have his peace into our hearts. I would love to encourage you to stand now and the band is going to come up. Um, decide, do we want it? Do we really want it? Do you want to receive the gift of rest and freedom and peace? If you do, you need to say yes to Jesus. This means saying sorry and asking for forgiveness. This means thanking God for what he has done. This means asking him to come into your life. Why not pray a simple prayer now. Why not make this the beginning of your relationship with Jesus today?
Father God, I recognise that I have not lived my life for you up until now. I have been living for myself. I don't want to do that anymore. I need you in my inner life. I want you in my whole life, my outer life, every part of my life. I acknowledge the completed work of your son, Jesus Christ, in giving his life for me on the cross. And I long to receive forgiveness of sins that you have made freely available through this sacrifice. Jesus, come into my life now. Take up residence in my heart and be my King, my Lord and my Saviour. From this day forward, I will no longer be controlled by sin or the desire to please myself. With your grace, with your help, I will learn day by day to trust you and to follow you all the days of my life. And so may it be.